Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, June 21st. I'm Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The National Weather Service in New Orleans has issued a tornado warning. This is in effect now for central Harrison County until 845. A severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located near Biloxi, moving northwest at 30 Five miles per hour. Coming up on today's show, we'll get the latest on how Tropical Storm Cindy is affecting the Gulf Coast and the state. The Cleveland School Board is facing some community backlash as they seek tax funding for improvement. Jackson Diocese Catholic Bishop Joseph Cope has weighs in on President Trump's budget. Does it reflect American values? And scholars from around the nation are in Mississippi being schooled on the history of civil rights. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cleveland school board officials are pushing for a three-mill property tax increase to improve the city's schools. Some members of the community are petitioning for the issue to be brought to a citywide vote. The disagreement has risen amid efforts to fulfill school con- consolidation in Cleveland. The school board is going through signatures of community members petitioning against the tax increase. 20% of voters need to have signed to stop the board's decision. Some members of the community say the decision should be put to a vote. Sherry Shepard is a Cleveland parent and community activist. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware the members of the community shouldn't have to pay extra taxes. On March 13th, the district's concession of the Calvin's case uh, came to fruition, whereas the district has agreed to consolidate its scope. As a result of that uh, concession, nothing has changed. The district is still operating with a lack of transparency, a shroud of secrecy. They still have yet to engage the parents and the stakeholders in the decisions of the school, and they are operating in the status quo. So nothing is different from the concession as it was the past 62 years when the district practiced racial segregation and discrimination. Currently, the district has uh, requested a three-mill tax increase in our community, whereas we feel it's keeping our community divided. If you will recall, the consolidation agreement referred to what was going on at the secondary schools. So according to the concession, it involves the schools that will house students in grades 7 through 12. If not through a tax increase, how will these changes go into place? The changes will go into place when the district stops wasting money on legal fees. They have spent millions of dollars fighting desegregation in 2017. Sherry Shepard is a parent from Cleveland. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Alexis. Jamie Jacks is the attorney for the Cleveland School District. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware. 
when we began looking at the buildings in terms of, you know, moving forward with the consolidation, those issues needed to be addressed. The district did not have on hand the funds to do uh, all the things that that the principals wanted and the needs uh, that we saw, but they put together a list of the things we absolutely had to do, and that was the the ADA issues, um, any kind of code compliance issues. All that said, it's going to be about $1.8 million to make those renovations. The district has at its disposal, there's a statute that allows districts to do up to a three mil levy for certain school improvements. And if there is not uh, sufficient petitions from the electors of the of the area, um, the district moves forward with that with that three mil levy. So that's kind of the process we're in now. It's and so what the school board did was go ahead and pass a resolution stating its intent to go forward with the three mil levy. To the average taxpayer, it would be about uh, an $11 tax increase if you say owned a $100,000 home um, in our Cleveland School District. So about a dollar a month increase for say the average taxpayer. And we then advertised that increase in the millage, and that allowed for anybody that wanted to protest the millage to come forward to the board with a petition and saying, no, they didn't, they didn't want it, and they, they thought there should be an election on the issue. On May 30th of this year, the board did receive petitions, and there were, uh, I believe, a little over 2,800 signatures that were given to the board stating that they wanted an election on the three mil levy. The board then uh, has a duty to find out if these persons are actually qualified electors, because in order for your your signature to count, you have to be a qualified elector, or that means a, a registered voter of the Cleveland School District. So at that point, the board turned over the petitions to our circuit clerk, Marilyn Kelly, who is the registrar. You know, she keeps both voter registration for the counting, and the board asked her to do a canvas to determine how many qualified electors were actually included in the 2,800 signatures that were given. So that's, that's been the process essentially up until now. Ms. Kelly has completed her review of the petitions, and she has found that 790 of the 2,800-plus signatures were not qualified electors. So what the district has now done is we have advertised in several different places, including the courthouse and on the district's website, We'll actually have a newspaper ad run um, telling people where they can find their names to look. And if they contest their disqualification, the board will, you know, hear that at our June 30th meeting that's coming up. Jamie Jacks is the attorney for the Cleveland School District. Thank you so much for speaking with me. You're very welcome. Thank you. The board will make a decision regarding the tax increase on June 30th. Coming up, President Trump's budget means less money for programs that support the elderly and the poor. Some members of the faith community are concerned. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Hey, Janice. I've got a 14-year-old daughter. She seems to be really wound up with anxiety and stress. I don't know if this is unusual, but we can't. sometimes I can't even calm her down. She gets so fixated on something. 
I'm not quite sure what to do with a teenager. If they need to go to therapy or some medication. Or well, that's a great question. I've had three of them, so I, I, I know exactly <laughs> the scenario. You say she's 14? Yes. So she's in the 15. middle of all the hormones and the rest of it. And sometimes kids are just sort of, their emotional ups and downs are sort of blown off because they're teenagers and, and things are missed. So the first thing when you ha- have a highly agitated and emotionally labile teenager is you have to realize that the part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that controls spontaneous behavior and mood changes is not fully developed until age 25. So mood changes and impulsive behavior are really sort of programmed into our biology. So some of this is normal. The big things that we worry about are those mood disorders or mood problems, they're not disorders in teenagers frequently, that cause functional problems. And if there are functional problems, then a mood issue becomes a mood problem. For instance, if she's not doing well with her schoolwork, uh, if she's not interacting well with the family, if she's acting out so much that she's disruptive, if she has suicidal thoughts, if there's a depressive element with this, Uh, or she spends her entire life on the computer. All those kinds of behaviors are all uh, red flags about getting some additional help. And with a 14-year-old, it's a problem because they're in that bridge between uh, the pediatrician and the adult doctor, and sometimes you don't know what to do with them. But I would make sure she doesn't have a medical problem. And hyperthyroidism can cause exactly these sorts of behaviors and is frequently missed in teenagers. So the first thing she needs is to go to a primary care doctor and explain what's going on and let him or her get the appropriate laboratory test, which would be a routine blood count, uh, chemistry panel, and thyroid functions to make sure there's nothing medically involved in this. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Trump administration's proposed federal budget has led some leaders to voice their concerns over its changes. The budget includes some cuts to domestic and international funding and increases military spending. Bishop Joseph Kopaz of the Catholic Diocese of Jackson and Bishop Louis Kinnaman of the Catholic Diocese of Biloxi penned an open letter calling on lawmakers to consider the poor and marginalized as they work on the federal budget. Bishop Kopaz tells us about his concerns. Fortunately, both national and international support was kept in the budget going forward just till the end of September when the new budget comes forward. And that's what all the pushback is. But in the months running up to the end of this budget, all the things that are happening out there are so important internationally, but then also at home. Those are stopgap and helping people to just have what they need for basic sustenance each day. While they work toward becoming more self-sufficient or, you know, independent, to cut the aid before that happens for many people is really so detrimental. And it's a moral issue, you know, how we put a budget together, obviously, is our priorities. And to just cut social programs and 
raise other areas, you know, to have that so lopsided raises serious moral consideration. Let me me interject, because in this country, there is a firm stance among many that government has no place in providing what the church should provide. That would be impossible. I think we're partners in, in all of this. And there are so many proven collaborative efforts I mean, our own Catholic charities, for example. I mean, revenue streams come from state and federal as well as donations and fundraising and and local efforts, but without creating a welfare state, you know, because I feel strongly that people need to become independent and interdependent and take responsibility for their lives. But often people need that bridge in order to do that. So to pick and choose where the government's going to be is, Obviously, that has to be reconsidered in every generation, so to speak. Where can we have less government and more local and state initiative and responsibility and participation? But it's impossible not to have the government as partner. To what degree? Yeah, people of good faith argue on that. President Trump has said America first. You have concerns about helping people around the world in dire situations. That runs counter to what our president wants to do. Yeah, he's definitely pulling back from different agreements and, you know, approaches to international realities, whether it be regional conflicts or development aid. I don't know the degree that he's intending to pull back from that, but that's part of what this letter is saying. Hopefully not. But in terms of uh, blocking certain folks coming into the country from different countries, I mean, some of that has to be carefully considered, but to isolate that again is a contradiction. America first means having very strong allies and also great international relations where we can give and take and strengthen our country. But to have a philosophy that says we're going to just be here and we'll pick and choose where we're going to interact with other countries only for our own interests. It's not like we're in isolation. Those days are long gone. Other interest is self-interest too. I mean, when we can help other countries and develop with them. It's international development. There can be no way to escape that. Bishop Cope, as you mentioned in your letter, the proposed increase in military spending. Do you bring that up because you're opposed to the spending? It would be so complex to pick apart the military budget as to what the priorities need to be. In principle, the national defense and the general welfare are side by side. To cut in one area, allot that to the other area, I think there's a justice issue there. We're committed to both, to say that we're going to uh, just increase military spending in spite of the dangerous world we live in, but yet leave our home base continuing to erode. You know, how safe a society we're going to be if more and more people are pushed to the margins. So there's the moral question, but there's also the practical piece. How do we help people here? What good would it be to have submarines patrolling the oceans and we can't even keep our communities intact? That's the point. There's a whole approach to this that I think has to be sound, moral, and with common sense. Is there one or two programs that absolutely need to be preserved? Well, early childhood education is long proven to be so critical. I mean, we know so much about the developing child and brain development, as well as the nutrition that can keep that young person healthy and moving forward. That's the foundation that we need. So all those programs that help families below the poverty line and families that are unemployed and the elderly on the other end of the spectrum, what can be done so that they're not choosing between medication and food or rent. We have to look at the vulnerable population 
and do so justly. Bishop Joseph Copaz leads the Catholic Diocese of Jackson. Bishop Copaz, thank you very much for your time this morning. Well, thank you, Karen. The federal fiscal year will end on September 30th. This is Mississippi edition. Waiting on the line is Rupert Lacey. He is the emergency management director for Harrison County. Good morning, Rupert. Good morning. You've been in the in the middle of a lot of it. A, a tornado warning was in effect. Uh, has that been exp- We We actually have our tornado warning has been reissued until 9-15. We've got uh, a water spot that came in, and we've got a confirmation uh, uh, that we had a uh, 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 some damage to a fence and all that. We've got an area to the north of us that we've got uh, people trying to get us a damage report. Uh, we've just been reissued for another portion of the uh, the area to, uh, to be covered under tornado warning. And just bear with me just a minute. Sure, of course. We had earlier reports of... You made all units on the net. Be advised the National Weather Service has reissued a tornado warning to or the western portion of Harrison County to include uh, Pass Christiane, Henderson Point, parts of Long Beach, and DeLille. Repeating, a tornado warning is issued for eastern and western parts of Harrison County. All right, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You need to do your job, and our listeners understand that you are in the thick of it. Uh, I appreciate you talking to us at all. We had received a report earlier from Hancock County of more than 300 roads, uh, streets closed, or at least had water on them. What's the situation in Harrison County? We we do have streets that are uh, going underwater. Of course, we've got three major rivers in our county. All of them are right at flood or, or going into... Uh, uh, the minor side of the flood, but we're looking at major flooding on Shudikabuff and Biloxi. I'll probably be dealing with that until about Saturday. The Wolf River uh, will be coming up, and, and uh, it's supposed to also crest, but kind of in a lower level on uh, on Saturday. Uh, but we're we're continuing to uh, to monitor those, and uh, uh, you know, kind of dodge the bullet and get messaging out on on everything else that we've got. Uh, Plus, still waiting on Cindy to make her uh, uh, final approach and see how much more rain she's going to I was going to say that, that there's more rain expected. Uh, Cindy is still some 200 miles out into the Gulf. She will come ashore. It will come ashore in western Louisiana. Tell us why, when it comes ashore there, our, ghost, our Gulf Coast is being so affected. Uh, it, it's the, the uniqueness. Each storm is different. Uh, and, of course, what we're seeing is that uh, uh, it took some time to somewhat develop, but uh, uh, it was able to suck in the Gulf moisture and, and kind of spread out. So thank goodness it really didn't develop um, uh, because, you know, I'm sure uh, we're getting tropical force winds off and on, but if it would be heavier winds and like these tornadoes, uh, it would be easy to blow over any type of trees or vegetation as wet as our ground are. How can Harrison County weather more rain, and it sounds like a lot more rain, today, tonight, and tomorrow, with the ground already soaked the way it is? Uh, uh, again, our, we've been pushing the message out and dealing with, uh, dealing, you know, uh, you as a media outlet, pushing the message out that it's coming, and and that uh, that has helped, but... Um, you know, we may see those high-value rain uh, or rain totals finally when it's all said and done. And, uh, you know, we'll go from uh, this response into the recovery side as soon as the weather lets us. 
Do, what do you advise for your residents? Are you telling people to stay at home to not go out? Uh, we're we're encouraging, of course. Uh, uh, you know, some essential services have to come in. Uh, um, uh, some businesses chose to uh, you know to let people off, and and uh, uh, you know if they do have to travel, we know it takes a little bit longer to get where they're going because of the rain. The other portion is that. Uh, um, you know, it. Uh, we we know people are going to be late for work today. So you know, hopefully those those businesses and uh, uh, governmental entities uh, have a little latitude on on people because of the weather events and and uh, turning around and not drowning and and driving around barricades. And again, you are under a tornado warning until nine fifteen. You told us at the start a, a water spout. Uh, was reported, maybe some damage as a result of that. What other imminent threats are there? Uh, again, we that was one that was coming in, came in off the uh, the Mississippi Sound in Biloxi, in North uh, Biloxi in the county. We had uh, uh, we had two tornadoes that they had spotted, but I haven't gotten response or any uh, damage assessment out of that. And then uh, in our Henderson Point, past Christiane area. Uh, uh, we're looking at some water spouts that have been seen, and uh, we've got another cluster of very heavy thunderstorms coming in. That uh, uh, this is this is going to be off and on all day today. In a situation like that, how many agencies are you coordinating with? Uh, of course, all five of our cities, our county. We've got state partners. Uh, we've got private entities. We've got non-governmental entities. Uh, uh, everybody is engaged. Uh, and, you know, we're just trying to push out the information as quickly as we get it so that they can do what uh, what they're supposed to do. Have you had any calls or do you anticipate any calls for water rescues? Uh, for what? I'm sorry? For water rescues? Uh, we do. And, uh, of course, we're fortunate to have uh, the Department of Marine Resources uh, down here. And uh, that's what they do, uh, you know, as a day-to-day. So... Um, uh, that's a good thing, uh, but we've also reached out to our state uh, agency, Mississippi Emergency Management, and we have a task force that's on standby if uh, if we need to bring them south. So, uh, you know, trying to cover all the bases, plus uh, our local police and fire departments down here are, are um, equipped for um, high water and or we, you know, we, being a coastal community, we have boats. Do you, of course. Do you foresee any evacuations? Uh, we've asked people to leave low-lying areas, but until the storm's over with, I'm I'm gonna, you know, we we may see some bad situations that yes, we could we could still uh, uh, still see you know some of that. Well, we hear the alerts going off behind you, so we'll certainly let you go. We wish you the best of luck and and hope that there's no significant damage in Harrison County. And thank you so much for being with us. Rupert Lacey, again, Emergency Management Director for Harrison County. Now, we will keep you updated, our listeners updated, uh, as we continue through the morning, certainly with tornado warnings, if flooding becomes a real danger. Again, we'll keep you updated, so keep listening to MPB Think Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. 
or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Next time on Mississippi Roads, we take to a road, one specific highway that we travel end to end, at least the part of it that's in Mississippi, Highway that traverses much of our geography, culture, and history. Old bluesmen called it the longest road they knew. I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on the next Mississippi Roads. Thursday at 7 p.m. on MPB TV. MPB Think Radio loves to help with lots of subjects, but between 9 and 10 on Wednesday mornings, we focus on your nest. On Fix It 101, we want to help you make your place safer, quieter, drier, brighter, bigger, cooler, cozier, or the opposite of any of those things, depending on your preference. The pros are Del Moore of Affordable Solutions 601 and Jeff Sammons of Houseworks. I'm the amateur and host, Jason Klein. So go ahead and ask away. Fix It